0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. If you missed the Exiles in Babylon conference last year in 2022, we do have the digital version available. If you want to engage the conversation about sexuality, gender, politics, unity in the church, hell, race, and racism, then check out the digital version of the Exiles in Babylon conference at theologyinthera.com. Also, if you want to support the show, you know where to go, patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw. Support the show for as little as five bucks a month. And thank you to all of you who are part of the Patreon community and keeping this show not only going, but flourishing. My guest today is Brandon <laughs> Stiver. I'm laughing because I kept calling him Brian throughout the podcast. Sorry again, Brandon, um, for misnaming you like all throughout the podcast. I don't know why I did that. Your name was right in front of me on the screen in your Skype account or whatever. So I don't know. I'm blind. Um, Brandon is the Senior Director of Global Programs and Partnerships at One Million Home. One Million Home is revolutionizing orphan care through broadly shifting mindsets and scaling up uh, proven community-based models that reunite children with families. The conversation today is about orphan care and the problematic relationships that orphanages have in the orphan care conversation. This is going to be similar to the conversation I had a few months ago with Alicia. uh, uh, Alicia, I'm going to butcher her last name, so I'll just say Alicia (laughs) Um, from Story International. And uh, yeah, it's one of those conversations that might be very eye-opening to some of you. It might be hard for some of you to hear, but hopefully we will um, always want to do the right thing and do something that actually is helping the very people we're trying to help and the role. It's questionable whether orphanages are doing that. So I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation. I learned a ton again about orphanages and orphan care by talking to Brian. Brian's an awesome dude. I had a great time talking to him. So please welcome to the show for the first time, Brian Stein. Hey, friends. uh, Welcome back to another episode of Theology and Raw. I'm here with uh, a a new uh, friend, uh, partner in... um No, we're not partnering.
1: (laughs) You ever start saying a sentence and you're like, where
0: am I going with this?
1: (laughs) You just started the partnership, man. I'm all for it. Yeah. Well,
0: I'm I'm already a huge fan of your work, um, even though I technically don't know much about your specific work, but I know... The kind of work you're doing. And I want to have you on to talk about this whole question of whether orphanages are um, a good thing or possibly doing more harm than good or however you want to frame it. But let's first um, give us a snapshot who you are, what have you been doing in life, and how can I grow such an awesome beard? Those of you who aren't watching, (laughs) Brian's got, I mean, the pipe-smoking beard going on here, which I'm really right. jealous. Mine does not look that cool.
1: <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. So yeah, I'm Brandon Stiver. I'm with a uh, 1 million home. Uh, how you get the beard, uh, you take some German blood, you mix it with some Swedish blood and this is kind of <laughs> what comes out, I guess.
0: Yeah. You could, you uh, could, you could you could pass as like a Viking, man. You should, uh,
1: <laughs> bro. That's what I was for Halloween with my kids.
0: Oh, holy, totally, holy. <laughs>
1: <totally. laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, so I'm with One Million Home. Uh, So we are a nonprofit social venture uh, focused on global child welfare. And basically what that means is, uh, well, it can mean a lot of things, but basically it's a recognition that when we talk about child welfare in the global South, there's a lot of gaps um, and specifically when it comes to care settings. So that's kind of what our focus is. Um, You know, we got connected to you through uh, a mutual uh, friend, a colleague of ours, Alicia, Mm-hmm. who was on the podcast not too long ago and, um, have some other mutual connections as, as we mentioned with crazy love and all those guys. But, um, basically what, what we do at 1 million home is we recognize that there is a, uh, that there's a lot of kids that are separated from family and we work to get those kids back into family. So, um, numbers can be a little hard to interpret sometimes, but there's about 5.4, uh, million kids that are, you know, uh, living in orphanages uh, throughout the world. Um, that's according to a Lancet report from last year. Um, numbers of kids on the street, you know, vary quite a bit depending on the source and because it's hard to survey those kids, but looking at maybe a minimum of 100 million kids that are on the street. So basically what we do at One Million Home is just uh, we work with, with organizations throughout, you know, the world to create pathways for kids to get back into family. So that's kind of in a nutshell, what we do.
0: Okay. And real quick, your background though, you said you lived in, uh, Tanzania for a number of years. And yeah. so you've been a missionary and have you right. worked with orphanages before in the past or?
1: Well, dude, for me, so I was, I'm a, I'm a California native, um, was living in Southern California going go into a, a big church in Costa Mesa called Rock Harbor church. Yeah. And we, um, I was in a service on father's day in 2007 and actually felt God calling me to go run an orphanage in Africa. Like those were the words that like, I felt God impressing, impressing on me. And, uh, that was kind of the start of a journey for me. Um, I shortly thereafter, you know, I was entering my last year of college, um, just kind of applied to whatever short-term missions they were sending to Africa, um, got caught on with, uh, Tanzania and, that kind of started the whole journey. I went and did a short-term missions trip in 2008, then did a two-month internship in the same city in Moshi, Tanzania in 2009. And then um, it was during that internship that I actually got hired uh, to work at a children's home. So, you know, I, I know coming out of your conversation with Alicia, you know, that was kind of a big, you know, takeaway and, and a big takeaway that a lot of people are coming across right now. And and that was me. I did the short term, you know, missions, mm-hmm. volunteering at the orphanage thing. I, I went and worked at a children's home for two and a half years. It was, it was the kind of children's home that, you know, all of us like to donate to, right? Where, you mm-hmm. know, um, it's faith based. It wasn't corrupt you know, know. they leading, making the future leaders of, you know, whatever country they're in that whole kind of, you know, vision statement and all of that. So I worked there for two and a half years. Um, I got married halfway through that. My wife came on a short-term missions trip, and we got engaged six weeks after meeting face to face. So that's a that's a whole other story.
0: So short-term we, trips do serve a purpose.
1: <laughs> it was very successful for my wife. Yeah, yeah. So so we 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 went full in, um, and then we um once we had a kid though we started to realize you know I was kind of working out of this complex, and it was a complex. It was white savior ish. It was um yeah it was. It was yeah, you could call it a complex, but basically just thinking like I am the father to these children. Like I'm a father to the fatherless. But once I actually had my own kid and my daughter was born, it was like, oh, hold on. There's a difference here. You know um, what I thought was happening in the orphanage, um, you know, being a father to these kids and all this and that. Like the kids needed fathers. There's no doubt about that. But to say that just because I was working at a children's home or because God had called me into that space or, you know, whatever you wanted to call it there was a, I, I could see there was a market difference. So um, we went back to California for about a year and a half. I worked at a church in the interim and then um, returned to Tanzania, back to Moshi again, and uh, ran a family-based program for for five years. So uh, family-based models can vary. They can look like all sorts of different mm-hmm. things. For us specifically, it was focused on the local church, the indigenous leaders there, okay. and doing a lot of mobilization, um, doing a lot of uh Bible training, and then we also had like a social services component kind of on the side to get kids into family or to preserve families that are at risk of separation. Um, so, yeah, so I ended up doing that for five years. So we were in Tanzania about eight years altogether okay. between the two different ministries.
0: I, I do want to point back to, let me see if I can pull up the episode. Um, yeah, so, so Theology and Ra episode 957 titled, Are Orphanages Doing More Harm Than Good? with uh, Alicia uh, Pinezoto, 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 Um I would encourage people to go back and you know uh, listen to that one. I don't, I don't because this this conversation is probably going to dovetail with that one, so it's almost like a two part right. conversation. And I don't mi- mind any um, repetition, but l- let me, I guess, start with the question I threw at uh, Alicia. You know what? What is orphanages like? Th- this is like the Cream of the crop of, like, Christian involvement, you know, if you could work in <laughs> an orphanage, fund an orphanage, right. visit an orphanage. Um, just – I'll just say it. I mean, it's not – not no shame or whatever, but just last week at church, we had, you know, celebrating an orphanage that we're supporting and somebody that's running an orphanage. And I, I want to – I'll say this probably several times throughout the podcast. Um, very, very, very good and awesome hearts for somebody to move – into a poor country, to work in an orphanage, like that takes an incredible heart, a desire to want to help the vulnerable. So 110% celebrate that desire. We do also have to ask the question whether, um, to to, I guess quote the title of a famous book, you know, could there are times when our helping could actually unintentionally hurt or maybe not help, more holistically in ways we th- thought. So that's kind of a runway to what are some of your concerns with orphanages as a means of caring for orphans and the vulnerable? Let's just, and you can start one-on-one, like pretend like somebody sure. hasn't listened to that episode, may know nothing right. about it. Maybe they're even shocked that we're even questioning whether orphanages are doing nothing but great things. Um
1: yeah, no, and that's, and, and I totally agree with you. And and most of the people that I interact with that are running children's homes or, or involved or supporting, they always have the best of intentions. And, and a lot of this kind of comes down to whatever the mindset is that we bring to this conversation. So um, if I'm listening to a podcast uh, and people start to get on this conversation of, you know, what have Christians contributed to society, they'll, they'll go along some, some uh, frame of mind well, they will say or stream of thought where they'll say oh christians they started the first hospitals and christians founded all these schools and they were pro-education and they started orphanages and it's just kind of like one of those mm-hmm. one of those things that's just kind of like oh yeah like these are the good things that christians do right and there's kind of a whole history you know with orphanages and and kind of how they came about and where they've been used and all of this but fundamentally, we kind of have to get after, you know, if we're talking about these big social, you know, support systems that Christians have kind of contributed to the greater society, what is it that we're addressing? So if there's a school, what we're saying is that education is important, that there's people that are uneducated. What they need is a school, right? If somebody goes to the hospital, it broke their arm, right? My, mm-hmm. my you know, my daughter broke her arm a few years ago, right? Where do we go? We go to the hospital. They're going to have a, a doctor there. They're going to set it. You know, she's gonna get better, right? So schools are for education, hospitals are for healing. What does an orphan need? And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. we kind of jump to that same kind of institutional model, right? Like hospitals and and schools or institutions Mm -hmm. will jump into, well, they need an orphanage, but what are you actually giving them then? In the best case scenario, you're giving them shelter, you're giving them food, but that's not those aren't the things that make them an orphan. What an orphan needs is family, right? They need parents, you know, first and foremost. So we're not necessarily meeting the the key deprivation, you know, that those kids have by allowing them to basically just continue in their orphanhood by basically just housing them, right? So within child welfare, there's different types of you know systems that are that that you might be calling upon to meet the needs of a child. So if we were to kind of say, you know, orphanage, um, we don't really have traditional orphanages in the U S anymore, starting with like Teddy Roosevelt and, um, some of that progressive movement in the early 20th century. And then Mm -hmm. we've kind of phased them out. We really haven't had any traditional orphanages for the last 60, 70 years, you know, like, like you'll still get some residential care, which is kind of that bigger umbrella. And there is a need for certain types of residential care, you know, within just about any child welfare system. The issue with the Global South specifically is that there is an over-reliance on residential care, and we are often institutionalizing children that really don't have any need you know, for that particular type of, quote-unquote, service. And even when a kid goes into a residential facility, an orphanage, a children's home, whatever euphemism you want to call it, um, even when they go in there, if it's temporary or Or if the kid, you know, maybe you're getting a kid off the streets and Mm -hmm. they have some addiction problems, you do like a rehabilitative care that's short term and then get them back into a family setting. You know, that's kind of how those residential uh, services ought to operate. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, what we see is in areas that are high tourism and high poverty, we get kids that are entering orphanages. At ages that you would never see any kid going into any residential setting here in the U S but they can enter really young and then they can end up spending their whole childhood there. And then that's when you kind of get into all of the different challenges that that kid's going to face across multiple fronts. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to have, um, uh, adequate, uh, stimulation for proper child development. There's some studies that say if a kid spends three months in an orphanage, they lose a month of, of yeah. development. So Alicia so pointed that
0: out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Alicia mentioned that as well. Um so they're gonna lose out on development. They're gonna not form healthy attachments, which is really kind of like a founding building block for every human. It's what you have with your children, mm-hmm. what I have with my children. It's that, you know, kind of a that kind of a give and response. That we're building with our kids, you know, the child cries, the parent meets the need. That's how people build trust. When kids are in orphanages, they're not forming that attachment, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And because of that, then they're getting attachment disorders, right? And this, again, this is even in the quote unquote good orphanages. Then you get into some of the more murky stuff like uh, abuse and neglect are much more common. Like abuse and neglect happens in family, like we all recognize that. But it's even more common, you know, when kids are outside of the protection of their parents. So there's that issue.
0: Is that is, uh, is that is that statistically true? Like, is that um, that that a higher percentage of abuse happens in orphanages than in homes? That again, homes can be abusive too. But um,
1: yeah, okay. So so. For sure. Uh, so what you guys could do is go and look up our partners at Faith to Action. They've and Better Care Network. These are two organizations that. Act as act as kind of like a depository for these types of studies, so um, yes, so those those studies are out there, and I really ought to be able to name one off the top of my head, but I can't. Yeah. Um But um, at any rate, so so there's the issues of yeah abuse and, and neglect, attachment, development, and then social and cultural things. You have these kids that are growing up in basically a totally different society. So even if they, you know, go into an orphanage in East Africa, you know, Tanzania, whatever, and then they exit. That same orphanage, and they're still in Tanzania, they have this big cultural, you know, uh, where it doesn't sync up because they didn't grow up in Tanzanian family Mm -hmm. in community life. They grew up in Mm -hmm. an orphanage, Mm -hmm. you know? So.
0: And um, I forgot the statistic that Alicia shared, but I was blown away that a very high percentage of people, kids in orphanages, actually have at least one parent still alive. I I just thought. The overwhelming majority had no parents or even if they had maybe one, it was a horrible situation to where being in an orphanage would, would have been better than being in the care of their single parent. But what's the – do you have stats for that? How many kids in orphanages actually have at least one surviving parent maybe, and possibly two?
1: Yeah. The global stat is, is four to five. That's been based off of various studies. There's a really compelling one that came out of Haiti, which was nine out of 10, which was done by Lumos foundation.
0: So 90%, 90%, 90%
1: in Haiti. Yep. Some, some, some some are going to vary. So that's Mm -hmm. just
0: in Haiti. So the other one was four out of five. So 80, so 80, would you say globally speaking 80 to 90% would be
1: inaccurate? That's the global number. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we talk about statistics, it's, it's really important. So if you were to go to, um, right now, COVID is kind of causing an increase in people in children that are losing their parent or primary caregiver. So the current studies that are coming out of like the CDC and kind of this whole task force around COVID is that over 10 million kids have lost their parent or primary caregiver due to, due to COVID-19. So there is an increase in orphanhood, right? Um, so so that is happening. But before COVID hit, we were actually, while the global population of people was has been on the rise, the number of kids that were technically orphans was actually on the decline. So if we were to say, you know, go back 15 years ago, we would say, how many orphans are there in the world? And they would say 153 million orphans in the world. Well, today, you know, Covid aside, so say 2019, that number would be 140 million. So the numbers have actually been trending down. Now this this is a number that just comes from like the from like UNICEF. Um, you know how many how many orphans are there in the world? Mm-hmm. Um, but the tricky thing with that is that that gets lost on us and kind of these paradigms that we work through with you know little orphan Annie or Harry Potter or whatever you know our cultural mindset is. Um, is that when they say 140 million, most of those kids actually still have a parent because they include what are called double orphans, or okay. sorry, they include single orphans. Single so orphans. a sing- single orphan is a kid that has you know lost one of their parents, not both of them. Now, that still conveys a level of vulnerability, so that's kind of why they capture it. Mm-hmm. But to us as Americans, we just hear 140 million, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And we tend to run to the solutions that are supposed to be the last resort, which is orphanages and inner country adoption. Those are really supposed to be kind of like the last resort. But that's kind of where we run to. So Okay.
0: Okay. Um the, the can you I, the, the abuse thing was startling as well. Um can you unpack that a little like is, is it um abuse from staff members at orphanages? Is it abuse among the kids? Is it a both and and or just and why would there be such high levels of abuse in orphanages, and and the the question I ask Alicia is is that is this endemic or intrinsic to the nature of orphanages, or is it just so happens that this is a problem and we need to clean it up in orphanages? And I compared it to you know, there's abuse. I mean, just with the recent you know SBC document right. release. I mean, there's abuse that happens right. in the church. Does that mean the church the church isn't good, or does it mean we need to clean up? this stuff happening in the church. But so is it intrinsic to the nature of orphanages that is fostering abuse? But first, like, can you comment, give me a little more description of what are we talking about here? What, What kind of abuse is going on and by whom?
1: Sure. And, and, and even with abuse, so um, a, a good kind of framework when it comes to abuse in general is the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. Um, this was done by the CDC a number of years ago, and it's kind of picked up. But basically, it's a 10-point scale of childhood adversity, which includes, which includes abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction. Now, a lot of these studies were focused on the U.S. I would love to see them applied, but it's still a helpful framework. So even when we talk about abuse, that can be physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, emotional. And then there's different forms of ne- neglect as well. And then household dysfunction includes like uh, domestic violence in the home, divorce, you know, those types of things. So if we kind of use that as a framework to say like, well, what is abuse? What is childhood adversity? You know, um, so with, with the abuse within orphanages, um, Ultimately, what we what we're looking at is that there are gaps in child protection systems, right? So when a kid is abused, what we're saying is that that kid was not adequately protected. Um, now, if you go into a lot of these children's homes, they don't even have policies in place to actually protect children, and they don't have adequate training, you know, of the of the caregivers to actually protect against this. And this is something that I saw in a lot of, you know, orphanages that I interacted with in Tanzania and at 1 million home, we facilitate this community practice of organizations. And this is like very common to not have policies and practices in place that are actually going to protect kids. So that's kind of like the organizational piece. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then ultimately, you know, you're bringing in kids that have all gone through some level of trauma. The fact that if they are truly a double orphan, meaning that their parents passed away, that's traumatic, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If their parents haven't passed away, they've become separated and that's traumatic. Mm -hmm. And some of these kids may be entering residential uh, setting as a form of protection um, because maybe they came out of an abusive situation like within their home or within their community. So basically what you're doing is you're putting all of these kids that have gone through trauma have gone through adversity all into the same place and because of that uh, the most common form of abuse is peer-to-peer older kids taking advantage of younger kids there are issues as well with staff um, and the other piece to kind of Think within this, there's a difference between abuse, neglect, and exploitation. A lot of these kids are actually being um, exploited in these um, high traffic or high tourism areas, where the kids actually are getting trafficked into the children's homes, as a means of generating funds, either through what was traditionally intercountry adoption, but even more so now uh, tourism and short-term mission trips and that whole piece. So so the kids, so there's abuse, there's neglect, there's exploitation. Um, and in those situations where the, where the organization or the orphanage, or, I mean, I say organization, a lot of them aren't even registered. Um, but in situations where they are being, you know, exploited, Those are also situations where abuse is also, you know, just direct abuse, physical abuse uh, also are coming into play that might be from an adult to a child. Mm -hmm. So it's basically, yeah, it it is, I would say, a a bit intrinsic. Um, And even in the nice orphanages um, that we support, you know, or not we like 1 million home, but like we as American Christians Mm -hmm. support, which is a multi-billion dollar industry um, that even those quote unquote good orphanages are still having abuse and still having these gaps in child protection and safeguarding issues that are basically allowing for this abuse to take place.
0: I mean, if, if I'm just trying to imagine just a real concrete scenario, if, if a orphanage is well supervised, you know, you have let's just say there's 20 orphans, 10 girls, 10 boys, there's one or two adults that are sleeping in with the boys, a female with the girls, um, and, and assuming the adult's not doing anything, you know, bad. Um, right. How is it just the kids find a way, like in the middle of the night, are kids waking up and maybe sexually abusing other boys or maybe they're out in the playground they take taking behind and kick the crap out of them or something behind the basketball right. hooper? I mean, I, how does it – if it's well-supervised – because I, I could see somebody saying, well, no, we just need better supervision and then it wouldn't be happening. Is that true? Or sure. are you saying it, it's even in the most well-supervised, well-run – there's, it's a high, a good chance. It's still going to happen.
1: Um. It is true that kids can find ways that they can find gaps, but for sure, like we would encourage anybody to increase the amount of supervision and protection and policies Mm -hmm. and practices that ought to be in place. Um, and, and again, I'll just say, you know, our organization, we are all focused on getting kids back into family where, where we believe even scripture, you know, says that kids ought to be. Um, but you know, if there is a children's home out there and their step forward is to increase how they are actually protecting kids within their care. And then also to maybe add some family-based services where they're not just bringing kids in and the kid just lives there for the rest of their childhood. Like, um, Because then they're going to, even if they're not abused, you know, abuse is not like the only thing that's detrimental to a kid's Mm, childhood. You know, the the fact of being separated, the fact of being ostracized because you're an orphan living in an orphanage, all of these things are also really detrimental to a kid's well-being. So, um, so yes, absolutely. Increase supervision, um, get properly trained on how to protect children. Um, Mm -hmm. make sure you have policies in place that your staff are well-trained on, um, so that those kids can be safeguarded for however long they're in the children's home, but also don't be, don't grow content with the fact that you have an orphanage and, you know, nice, you know, little kids that feel special to you, um, really champion, that these kids need moms and dads ultimately. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they don't, you know, a, a children's home is not as good as growing up in a parent's home, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: I, it's so, so, I mean, to, to use a cliche, our, our band, I mean, somebody could say, yeah, I know band, uh, orphanages are like band-aids, but band-aids are necessary to fulfill per- maybe it's not ideal, but I, would you go further than that to say they're actually perpetuating a system that overall is just really not helping these kids? Um, I don't want the words in your mouth, but
1: yeah, no. In most cases in the global south, yes, they are they are perpetuating or just kind of exacerbating. So you know, if we think scripturally for a moment if we're looking at the Old Testament or if we're looking at the New Testament, it's always orphans and widows, orphans and widows. That's a vulnerable family unit. I don't think that was just like a coincidence where it's like, here's the strangers, here's the poor, mm-hmm. here's the widows, here's the orphans. And like saying those are four categories, I would say widows and orphans, they're always listed together because it's a vulnerable family, right? It's a yeah. fatherless kid and a and a single mother, right? So um, so scripturally, you know, the the desire is for kids to be, you know, with, within the family. And even if that's just with a single parent, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be a better, you know, situation for that kid. Um, and you know, for, for us to basically just say, are we going to allow the kid to just perpetually be outside of parental care? Um, I think we have to wrestle with that even theologically because, you know, we could read Romans eight and it's like, God has not given us a spirit of bondage to fear, but a spirit of adoption right? Or even kind of uh, Jesus in John 3, 16, it's like being born again into the family, right? Like that's kind of like, these are like the scriptural connotations of what it even means to be a follower of Christ is to kind of be brought into the family. And then when we see kind of this this woven throughout all of scripture with widows and orphans together and actually providing them support as a family unit, mm-hmm. we really have to kind of think through are we okay with this, right? Yeah. And there are some parallels, you know, even like John 14, like Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. So it's kind of like this this, this understanding that orphanhood is not really something that we should want to allow mm-hmm. to perpetuate, right? And we don't want to put any kid in a situation where they're going to basically have their orphanhood facilitated through their childhood, and then they age out, and mm. now they're just an orphan for the rest of their lives. You know, like that's really that's going to be detrimental even just psychologically for the kid.
0: What about like, you know, you said, it. you know, if they have a single parent, so 80 to 90% have at least one parent to go to, but let's take a scenario that probably is not that uncommon where even that single parent, what if that single parent is abusive? And what if the orphanage on the street happens to not be abusive or, you know, minimally so? And, and what if the single parent is living in extreme poverty. They're abusive. They're, they're going to be malnourished. Like there are some one-to-one situations where the even staying with the single parent is actually worse for the person than an orphanage. Or is I, I'm throwing out the scenario as a way of pushing sure. back, <laughs> trying to represent. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. No, that's really good. That. Um, what and, would you say I, and, to that? Yeah
1: yeah, I, I suppose my response would be, you know, do we have to live within that dichotomy, right? It's either you're separated from family in an orphanage or you're being abused by a parent you know that isn't really suited to care for you. Um, my response, having worked within this space for, you know, over a decade now, um would be just to recognize like, actually, there's that that's not that's not a that's not a realistic binary, you know. Mm-hmm. First of all, when we talk about family care settings, most of these environments that we're talking about are collectivist societies, and their notion of what family is is a lot more expansive than what we see here in the U.S. Right, with this, um, with our kind of, um, you know, real a fix, uh, uh, real, real fixation on the nuclear family. Yeah. Um, in the global South, you know, for example, okay, so in Tanzania, um, my child when my child was born in Tanzanian culture, they were born with multiple mothers and multiple fathers. So I have two brothers. Um, I have an older brother and a younger brother. So I'm Baba Mzazi. That means father, parent. My older brother is Baba Kubwa. My younger brother is Baba Mdogo, big father, little father. My wife has two sisters. They're both older. So my kids are born with two Mama Kubwas, right? So that's just from a a linguistic standpoint to kind of show you that this that the, their view of family is a lot more is a lot bigger so even when we say look the kid only has you know one parent and the parent you know the kids living with their dad and but he's an alcoholic and he's abusive it's not a safe situation we absolutely do not want the kid in that situation if mm-hmm. we're not protecting kids uh then we're not doing our jobs right but to just say it's either this or that the reality is you can actually talk with that alcoholic father that's abusive or whatever and say, hey, you know, uh, where's, you know, does you does your, you know, deceased wife, like, where's her family? And I say, like, oh, they live in this next village. You can go and you can start to talk to people. Oh, okay. And then, where's your, you know, where's your sister? Oh, you know, she lives around the corner. You go, and this is called family tracing. You go and you find other family members and you kind of do the assessment and you you assess the kid, you know, what's going to be the right placement for them. Then you assess the family and you basically draw this, you know, almost like a family tree of different places that this kid could get to, mm-hmm. right? And once you, you know, find that right placement, then you start the preparation process for that kid to be, you know, moved from mm-hmm. care setting to another care setting. Now, if you exhaust all of that, And your only option is for alternative care. Alternative care just means alternative to where the, like the kid's biological family. So an orphanage is a form of alternative care. So if you have to go to alternative care, could you go to alternative family care? So could you, like Alicia's done, um, develop like a foster care system, right? Mm -hmm. Can you get them into an adoptive placement, right? So they actually have permanency as well. You want to kind of go, you want to kind of build out that menu of, of social services Mm-hmm. that are going to allow that kid you know and and this is hard work right when we talk about orphanages yeah. we're not like coming after orphanages like you guys are bad or whatever like like this was me like right <laughs> like i was working at the at the christian children's home like this was me nobody nobody's you know there are corrupt ones but we're not talking about them we're talking about like the good people but it is a rather simplistic solution like the kid doesn't have a home we'll put them in the orphanage like it, but doing all of this social work and tracing families and finding the right placement and then doing the follow-up and the case management and getting them connected with community service is it, it's involved mm-hmm. and it, and it takes work, but that's what we have to do, right? Cause yeah. that's, what's going to be in the best interest of the child is to do all of that hard work to make sure that they're in an environment that's going to be conducive to them developing right. and thriving.
0: That, that, that makes total sense. I guess my question is more historical than, um, if that kind of natural kinship system is just in, is just yeah, natural to many cultures in the oh. global south um why didn't that happen like where, where did orphanages end up i guess i'm asking like where do they come from like like um if that was the natural way that clans and kin would take care of kids in orphanages or, yeah. or, or kids that have been orphaned where did the orphanages come from? I keep asking the same question multiple times for some reason.
1: <laughs> no, no, you're good. So, so there, there are eras here. Um, so I think the first orphanage was coming in like the Roman empire, um, had some name for it. You know, I think you asked Alicia about a book, a good book to, to yeah. read would be orphan justice by Johnny Carr. It's a little old, but, um, it's almost 10 years old now. Um, we need more books kind of in our sector to be honest, but that would be a good one I would recommend. Um, and he kind of, he kind of talks a little bit about, um, you know, kind of like the older Genesis around orphanages, um, right now, kind of in this current, because, because even like you are probably familiar with like George Mueller and like he set up all the orphan homes in the UK and all of that. Um, so If we kind of just say, well, what's the current, what's the modern, you know, piece around why these orphanages are so pervasive? It is a post colonial type of construct. So it was very common within colonial times to basically separate families, right? Um, And of course, we have the colonial piece that's kind of uh, the, the, cousin of colonialism is like the the transatlantic and the trans indian you know slave trade so it was this separation of families right um you even see it with you know the whole what was that whole thing in canada with like the the burial and like like getting kids into the boarding schools like the mass graves and stuff in canada like like separating kids you know from their families putting them in some sort of institutional setting that's a very colonial Type of model, very Western,
0: very not global South. So very Western. I'm keep going, because I think I'm I'm tracing your thought here now.
1: Right. So, so that's that's kind of where how we got to this modern situation, right? So there is that colonial piece, and you see it a lot in Sub-Saharan Africa. You see it in India. You see it in you know other places where there was colonial rule. Um, So we input. Just to be
0: clear, we we developed it in the West and imported it to the South.
1: Yeah. Exported it. Yeah. Export, exported. Exported it. Yeah. Which, which is interesting now, if you think about it, because we don't have these large scale yeah. orphanages here in the U S and yet we're so intent on perpetuating them in other places, even though in our own context, we said, actually, this isn't a good way to care for a kid that's gone through trauma. Right. And yet we're you know still eager to export it. Now, mm-hmm. the, the thing that the apparatus is kind of held up on now is a lot of tourism to be honest so to give you an example i mentioned um, moshi which you've mm-hmm. been through before yeah. my understanding is yeah. uh, moshi is uh, right next to kilimanjaro and if i say kilimanjaro people think oh you know big mountain in tanzania um, so obviously we're going to get a lot of tourism mm-hmm. we're about a day's drive from serengeti so people want to go out mm-hmm. they want to go to the serengeti for a safari they want to go climb kilimanjaro And whenever they come to this type of area, um, they are going to want to visit orphans because they heard about the AIDS epidemic and they heard about, you know, this is this is what true religion is, you know, if they're on a short term mission trip or whatever. And oh, yeah, we're also going to go to on safari while we're there or whatever. Um, So people have that kind of mindset. Now, those interactions are not benign and they also are not neutral when it comes to finances. So, um, what I mean by that is if you go into an orphanage in Tanzania or Haiti or wherever, and you see, oh my goodness, these kids, they need help. You might be inclined, especially if you have a team of like short-term missionaries that are going to go in there and they're going to say like, oh my gosh, we have to do something. Let's, let's take up an offering. Right. And now, now, you know, after a two hour, you know, visit on a Saturday, we're dropping five, six, seven hundred, you know, a thousand dollars, whatever, it's so like just take care of the kids, just take care of the kids, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, in some of these, you know, situations where the average person makes two or three dollars a day, and in some cases that's actually a living wage, I'm not like saying like that's okay, but like, you, you know, just kind of think like a, an honest day's work might get you a few bucks, right? Mm-hmm. In some of these contexts. Well, if you can actually recruit a bunch of kids from, uh, you know, from the village, right? And a lot of these kids are going from rural to urban settings. If you can get a lot of these kids, you know, even just for the weekend, you know, which happens sometimes you can actually exploit, you know, their childhood, um, and make a pretty nice killing. So you know, if the, mm. if a five hundred dollar donation comes in, maybe four ninety eight, you know, goes to the mm. goes to the director of the orphanage, and you know, maybe a couple bucks goes to buying the kids some rice or something. Like like those those situations are real, um, and they are intrinsic to high tourism areas. So in Kilimanjaro, mm. where I was, um, just within the just within the urban district, there were seventeen orphanages. Oh. Only five of them were actually registered. Um, You go out to the just to the adjoining rural district and you're going to get more orphanages. You go over to Arusha, which is about an hour and a half away and also a big city like you're going to get even more orphanages. These high tourism areas, you know, attract orphanages, attract kids going into those orphanages. It's kind of like. What was that field of dreams if you build it they will come people are building these orphanages so that they can just fill them with kids not kids that actually need any type of alternative care Mm. but just that's what they do you go to other areas of Tanzania that have the same level of poverty have the same level of HIV AIDS and you won't find any orphanages because there's no monetary uh, incentive uh, for people to establish orphanages there so and it's so, one of those things where yeah the money kind of dictates the service that's provided.
0: So you're saying in, in in places where there's little to no tourism, there are very few orphanages. That's right.
1: And 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 you think about that old you know um, adage which came from Africa: it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. You talk about traditional forms of caring for children that was more common. So so there's kind of like this confluence of all of these different issues that are coming into play. So you have the monetary piece and the volunteerism piece. You also have, um, people that are leaving the village. So as, as you're probably aware, I don't know if this is a eschatological thing or what, but people are moving from rural to urban, you know, village Mm -hmm. to city. So people are losing that village identity. But traditionally, if a kid was, you know, did happen to be orphaned or whatever, um, they would it was very natural for the village to raise them like that and that then the kid was in family the kid was in community and that was a much more sustainable that was a much more ethical model and yet because we you know exported or imported whatever like we brought these orphanages into um these environments it created like it would basically like created a demand right Mm -hmm. and especially when we kind of infuse that with money well, now, now it's kind of like all bets are off. Like we're going to get a lot of kids in here. What well,
0: um, you mentioned earlier, multi-billion-dollar industry. I've got so many questions about that <laughs> um, because let's just because I mean, okay, a, a single-parent household or even no parent, a double orphan. Um, so they're you know, what if you go down the line to people that could care for them, and they already have four or five kids, and there's a big poverty issue um the orphan the orphanage or an orphanage has money has has funds They can really care for this kid and what if the village maybe could take it in but it would be a really pretty impoverished environment um i guess the i, I don't even i mean it's so it should be so obvious it's like well wait a minute if what if we kind of redirected some of the billions of dollars toward helping the, the village <laughs> have right? the money to, find. I mean, without, I don't want to answer your, my own question. No, that but, would be, uh, that would
1: be much preferred for sure. Yeah, it is. It is. A, and it is a multi, and I would just say, you know, poverty, um, is a bad guy. Um, I would argue though, that poverty is not, it's, I don't think that it's the number one reason. A lot of people within our sector will say poverty is the main reason, but the reality is, Most kids and most African, Haitian, Latin American, like most of these kids are not growing up in orphanages, but they might be growing up poor. You know what I mean? So it's not like we're just every every kid that's poor goes in there. So uh, it's always poverty plus something else. So poverty okay. plus family breakdown, poverty plus abuse, poverty plus, you know, death of a parent poverty, you know, it, 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 that's kind of more the situation. So poverty is absolutely a bad guy, though. And and it exacerbates all these other vulnerabilities and risk factors that a kid might be going through. Mm-hmm. Um but, for sure, like redirecting funds. So there was a study that was done last year with Barna Group. I can't remember if Alicia mentioned it or not, but um, two point five billion dollars um, annually from Christians towards residential, wow. you know facilities annually. That's more than like compassion and world vision combined, right? So yeah. this is a huge industry. and it's being done by churches and and little mom and pop nonprofits that you've never heard of, you know? Um, and yet it's it's kind of all, adding up into an aggregate of about $2.5 billion. And to me, I think that's conservative because I don't think that they're really counting the the money that's being given on like these short-term trips um, that tend to be quite lucrative for the orphanage directors. So mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah, it is a multi-billion. And for sure, if we could redirect that towards supporting family-based care, ethical orphan care, supporting community development, um, economic development, all of those things are mm-hmm. actually going to help families communities and kids
0: what what i mean it's such a multi-billion dollar industry loads of churches support orphanages is it is it would you say it's just sheer ignorance like everything we're talking about they're like oh my god like if all these churches listening which quite a few probably are sure do you think like they're like oh my gosh never thought about that i I need to really rethink it or are they aware of the problems and they just ignore it is it a both and um and and I would like to – there's another question up and maybe I'll let you answer that one but if if could you step inside the mind of the best pro orphanage argument like somebody listening who is informed who knows Kay. and and like what would they say like if they're on the show what would they say well Brian what would, no you're you're missing this you're missing Brandon. that Brandon that's okay Brandon I'm so sorry Brandon. keep calling you Brian <laughs> <laughs> I did that at the beginning too I was going to acknowledge it. I don't know why I call you I, your name Brandon's right in front of my face right here <laughs> don't worry
1: about it dude <laughs> Um, okay. The first question, uh, remind me what the first question
0: was. Why are so many, is it just pure ignorant, ignorant? And I do not say that in a demeaning way, but just they just haven't thought about everything you're saying
1: or is it more
0: intentional? They have thought about it and they're just going against it.
1: I think most, most people that are supporting, it's not intentional whatsoever. It's just all that they've known. And because this, uh, mindset has been so perpetuated, um, they, uh, they just don't know any better, you know, like if you were to, you know, I I don't know if I were to talk to you a few years ago and just say, Hey, what's your opinion of orphanages run by Christians, you know, in sub-Saharan Africa, you'd probably be like, Oh yeah, that's great. You know, they're helping kids, right? That would just be your, your default. Right. And, and that's basically a lot of people just kind of working on the default, not really thinking critically about what it is that kids need, you know, or not even reflecting on maybe, you know, for parents like you and me, would we be content, you know, with our kid growing up at an orphanage if, you know, heaven forbid, you know, something happened to to you and your wife or me and my wife, like, would we be content or would we just think like, oh, for sure they would go to their aunt, you know, yeah. or like, oh, for sure they would, you know, but for whatever reason, there's like this. I don't know if it's a cultural thing or just because of how we've been enculturated in the West to kind of have Mm -hmm. this rosy view of orphanages. It's just the default. It's not intentional. I guess Um,
0: I I get that. Like if you were going to ask me 10 years ago, maybe five years ago, that probably would be my answer. But if I was in the church staff member in charge of our orphan care program, I might Google – around a little i mean you know like or if i started yeah. a nonprofit, i would want to know what is what does it take to be to care for or if, like am i too optimistic that people actually do a little bit of research or if they did do some research like what's what's the best way to right like if i was a mechanic it's one thing to ask me about a car i'm like i don't know here's but if i was like i'm gonna start working on cars like i would sure google how to change in you know like i would have some knowledge base. And if somebody yeah. does try to do some research, are they still not going to come across alternative orphan care? Is it kind of buried on the sidelines of the of the
1: conversation? Sure. Yeah. And, and I, I don't want to be overly cynical, Preston. I, I would assume that you're a little bit of an anomaly. Uh, I mean, not, not, not everybody would actually <laughs> yeah. do the research, you know, that it would require. And to be honest, I think if you just typed in like something like orphan care, uh, you're going to get a lot pro orphanage stuff than you're going to get, you know, stuff that says, Hey, these orphans, you know, have families or should be in families or what have you. So, um, I, yeah, I, I'm gonna I don't, do, think- I'm going
0: to, I'm going to do it right here. Keep, keep going. I'm just, I'm yeah, Googled it.
1: There you go. So, you know, I think they hear a plea, um, you know, in their church or they have some friend that went to an orphanage on a missions trip and like that's, those aren't not necessary, even though it's like, Hey, we raised all this money and we went to such and such country that's not, they're not necessarily, you know, uh, they're not thinking critically. Um, they're just kind of going because it's exciting or because, you know, and, and this is a part of that whole, when helping hurts umbrella, you know, where it's just kind of like, are we just doing this to do this? Or are we actually thinking critically about what's going to actually help and empower, you know, these, these, uh, you know, the people that we're going to, you know, Mm -hmm. should we even go? People Mm -hmm. don't normally ask those questions. I think, I think they might be a little more And again, this is a cynical approach, so I acknowledge that. But I think people are a little more, um, yeah, just they're just not thinking along those lines. So Mm -hmm. what was your Mm -hmm. second question, dude?
0: Sorry, I I, I did Google it, orphan care, and I got a bunch of ads for supporting orphans. Um, (laughs) There you go. I got a Gospel Coalition article here. I'm trying to figure out 21 ways to get involved in orphan care. Um, I'm trying to see. Let's talk about adoption. Um, well, and see, uh, there
1: you go. So, so you're getting you're getting hit up for child sponsorships. They're talking about adoption, which most of these kids don't need to be adopted. So, I mean, uh, I, I, you know, this this is very obviously very baseline. You know, you and I graduated. Support because we know that this is very baseline. But.
0: Support organizations like One Twenty Seven Worldwide. I don't know what that is. Um, uh,
1: one twenty-seven. That's James. One twenty-seven. Oh, I know that. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um. There are more than poverty. Huh. Yeah. I would have. I'm not gonna take time to do this. But yeah. Um, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, my yeah, second so question. I, my I, second question is, what is um, can you?
1: Oh, a pro orphanage. Yeah.
0: yeah. Like play devil's advocate with yourself. Somebody sure. who is thoughtful, who is aware of whatever, and might be really upset that we haven't talked about this or that or whatever. Um, right. in in favor of orphanages.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, the, the pro orphanage, uh, would probably be, actually, I would say that you've already kind of played it a bit. They would, they would talk about the, the issues within families. They would talk about, Oh, there's abuse in the home or there's addiction in the home or, you know, there's all of those things. The home is not a safe environment, you know? Um, I think that that would, and therefore we need to protect these kids by having, you know, this residential facility, you know, and hopefully that same person would, you know, approach it from a safeguarding standpoint, where if the kids are going into that home, they themselves then are kind of addressing some of the potential gaps in care, Mm -hmm. you know, from a protection standpoint, again, there's, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's hard to not take off my hat because I was that person. Right. Yeah. But, um, you know, again, I would just say, I wasn't thinking critically even when I was at working at an orphanage and because I've kind of, uh, engaged with people that are starting orphanages. Um, I've been sometimes successful, sometimes unsuccessful in kind of helping them think, Hey, what are some other ways that we can engage? But people that are, that are already there and already kind of dead set on starting it. Like that's just what they're going to do, you know, and they don't Mm. necessarily have this like big argument uh, as far Mm. as why, um, but yeah, I think the best arguments are around child protection, um, and lack of community mechanisms, which is, which is not inaccurate. Like there Mm -hmm. are pretty porous systems in a lot of these countries that kind of allow for kids to be abused. Um, to me though, that doesn't mean therefore we need to remove the kids from the community. That means we actually need to address those porous systems that are allowing kids to be abused or neglected. So or the happy. most
0: thoughtful argument would say, yes, of course, orphanages aren't ideal, but they're better than yeah. the realistic alternatives. And you would say we, if you really go deep and exploring re- realistic alternatives, you can find a better way in most cases. So. Yeah. And I
1: think, I think ultimately we, as Christians, again, uh, we have to think through when we read something like Psalm 68, that said, God sets the lonely in families. Mm-hmm. Like do we actually believe that like God can set the lonely in families? Like that's like, cause kids that are without parents, like that must be such a lonely experience, right? Like I, you know, we've adopted, my son grew up the first eight years of his life in a children's home and, um, it's a very lonely experience. I just remember seeing him and just thinking like, wow, this kid's lonely, you know? And like, I've seen that with every orphan living in an orphanage that I've interacted with, which is quite a few at this point. And, uh, do we really believe that God set would set them in families? And are we content if they're not in families? So I would just really kind of think along those lines as well. You know, um, mm-hmm. is it possible? Yes, it is possible. Is it possible for orphanages to transform into something else? Yes, you know, that's feasible. And even after your conversation with Alicia, it was like an orphanage in Liberia that like reached out to her and then she got them connected with us. And
0: people really? are starting
1: to take the, yeah, people are starting oh, to take sweet. these steps. Yeah. It's cool. Right. That's
0: awesome.
1: Yeah. So shout out to them in Liberia. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, this is this is this is feasible, you know, and there's there's there can be a step by step process. And even like, man, they talked with the with the local director. This was so indicative. Uh, They said, you know, how many of these kids do you think are going to need to be adopted if we get them into family? And she said zero she knows where all of these families are, you know, kind of thing. And this was like, literally I had this meeting like last week and it was all started with Alicia being on here and then her connecting them with us. So, um, anyways, yeah. So it's, it's totally possible. And we have to believe that God wants kids and families, man. We're like, we have to, and, and, and we just can't be content you know, we, we can get into all the complexities and we should partner with orphanages. We should partner with people that are family-based operators. We have to get the church better involved. We have to get the church thinking critically, you know, not just being like, well, it was really, I had this really emotional thing that came up when I held the orphan in Guatemala or whatever. Yeah. Like we, we can't just be like, Oh, I get my emotions are so tied up in here. And therefore, you know, I'm just right. going to do this. Um, We have to think critically and think what we would want for our own kids and really align ourselves with the fact that God sets the lonely in families. He doesn't set them in orphanages. He doesn't put them out on the streets.
0: Do you think, I would just be a point blank question, that churches, like if somebody's listening and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm convinced, or at least I need to really think through this, would you say that churches that are funding orphanages should not do that? Like if somebody's listening and they're in charge of the purse strings, mm-hmm. what should they do now? Yeah. Like a slow tick trickle off, or reallocate those resources towards something like I am mean, you're not gonna. I'll say it. I mean, something like your ministry or somebody <sighs> who is doing an alternative, better way, or what, should we yeah. just end the funding right away? Like because I do. I now like, when I hear churches support, it does like I, I get a little uncomfortable. Like
1: oh. Yeah. So, so, and I would just say at 1 million home, one of our programs is actually working with churches to answer those questions. And it's not just like a simple, like, oh, just cut it off. Like no big deal. Like, you know, because there's relationship there and hopefully there's an opportunity. You know, the first thing that we say is don't, don't cut off your funds, but actually talk with them. And it could be a simple question like, hey, are you guys providing any family-based services? Like when you bring a kid in, like what's your intake process? And and do you create, you know, a pathway for that kid to reenter the community and family? You know, some of those conversations are really valuable, especially when it's a donor. Um, and there, there have been situations, bro, I've talked with pastors where it's like, we were supporting an orphanage in Haiti and we found out that they were trafficking kids. Like, you know, like it's, there's some gnarly stuff out there. And for those types of situations, like, yeah, for sure, you want to stop funding them, you know? Yeah, sure. But if it's an orphanage that was started in good faith and they want the best for the kids and you guys have a relationship, I would just say use this conversation to kind of, you know, uh, take a step forward and and say, hey, what can we do to help these kids get in family? Like, we really are thinking like God wants kids in family. Mm-hmm. like. What can we do? You know, what's possible? And if the orphanage is receptive, then for sure, that's somebody you want to keep partnering with, right? And if they're not receptive and you have these conversations over and over and they're just like, no, this is our model. This is what we do. We're content with kids, you know, spending their childhood here. Then yeah, maybe you do want to rethink that. And there's so many great organizations. And I would say you don't even have to give to 1 million home. You know, there's a lot of organizations from our community practice that are like autonomous and you can find them literally on our page and people can go and just give like we want to fund foster care in the Congo or we want to support kids with disability in Uganda or we want hmm. like – you don't even have to give to us just like – but we'll show you like some organizations you can give to and you could just access them from our own website.
0: So there's quite a few. It's not just you and Alicia and oh, for sure. others. Like there's a lot of people doing
1: this. more. We're more a ragtag you. Gideon's army, dude. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So that's really cool. So you actually, the, my question, like that's what you, you guys, that's part of what you do. You help churches yeah. to transition. I was just meeting the, the with funds. the
1: church last night, dude. I was just meeting with the church last night. Uh, yeah, that's that's one of the things that we do. And 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 people can reach out to us. Just hello at one. That's the number one million home. If you guys have a church, reach out to us. We would love to kind of talk through and provide mm-hmm. some support and consultation to, to start to unpick that because... It is big it is big but you know and we yeah. actually we, we've talked with pastors as well even on recorded you know what does this look like for you you were supporting this orphanage in Kenya but you learn better like what do you do you know we've um you know so so we have uh, mentor examples as well yeah. you know of what that can look like that that's that really, that can be helpful awesome and informed
0: that's yeah. awesome because yeah, it's one thing to say oh church you shouldn't be doing this anymore it's like all right I I'm a volunteer. I'm on the orphan committee. We meet four times a year and right. I work 60 hours a week and my wife's going to leave me. And, um, I, well, what do I need? I need to read a book do I doing like, how do I transition this? And you know, the head elder is the main supporter of the orphanage and his wife founded it. And that conversation is not going to go well. When I say, right, I don't know if right. this is like, there's a lot of real practical things that could cause a lot of anxiety. I just stress myself out by painting that scenario yeah, <laughs> But that's so awesome that you much. come alongside and say, hey we will help you transition this well. Um, that's yeah. awesome.
1: And that's and that's what we do as a social venture we help orphanages transition okay. and we help churches transition like that's that's our main thing. We have this big direct services piece that's working in Kenya and mm-hmm. then we have joint ventures in other places like Sierra Leone, Haiti, Uganda, okay. um, Lesotho, um, but then we have this whole church piece, you know, that's fledgling, but it's going, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're working with churches to, to, to transition as well, because, it, I, I, you know, <laughs> the financial piece, we cannot understate, you know, I'm a big nineties hip hop guy, Wu-Tang clan cash rules, everything <laughs> around me, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, we have to work that whole paradigm, you know, if we're not addressing the cash, like This thing is just going to keep going and going and going. Addressing the fact that
0: as as long as billions and billions of dollars keep getting poured in, it's going to keep going. There's not going
1: to be any reform. There's not going to be any meaningful reform if if we just keep funding bad alternatives. Because that's the thing. Hmm. If if you have a child – I've worked in child welfare in California as well. We would get money to provide services that were entitled – That came from, like, taxpayer money that went to the government, then we win the contract, and that's how these things get funded, right? That's how foster care, mental health services, all of that. That's the financial piece, right? Mm -hmm. Those types of infrastructure are not present in in the global south. Um, So what are they? They're only relying on private dollars. But if the private dollars are coming in and they're saying this is the type of service that we want provided, we want to establish an orphanage, then that's the service that's going to be provided whether or not that's actually you know according right. to like an assessment of the community what's actually needed that's just what's going to get provided and if it's provided that's what's going to get used right so because the 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 government of you know fill in the blank country in africa is not going to is is typically not going to be like hey here's x amount of dollars for you to provide you right. know a free daycare, right. To help a vulnerable mother, right. Mm -hmm. Which would be an awesome service, you know, for a vulnerable mother and her fatherless child, you know Um, but the government's not doing that. They go like they do with, you know, Head Start or like some of these programs we have here in the U S so because the government's not providing it and then the government's not really doing and they don't have enough capacity to properly regulate the child, you know, a lot of these child welfare actors, it's in some of these countries, it's just like the wild, wild West. That's why you get this proliferation of orphanages and high tourism areas that are largely unregulated. They're totally raised on private dollars. So if we don't actually start addressing the fact that Christians and churches are feeding into this system financially, then, Mm -hmm. then it's not going to, then we're not going to move the needle in a lot of these countries because the government just isn't, can't stand up to, to the market, you know, and to the economy around this. Golly.
0: Um, I, we don't have do you have a few more minutes i, I really i would love your thoughts yeah, on short term tri- uh, mission trips cuz it's it it's it's relate it's yeah. similar quite i mean it's different but it's a lot of similarity here and th- this is my inroad i think it was well it was re- reading when helping hurts and then rethinking um short term mission trips i was on the uh, i was years ago uh, when i was on staff at Cornerstone church where francis was at they they tasked me to kind of like revamp their short-term mission policy or whatever. And i had already had some questions like, you know, talking to f- career missionaries and, um, you know, so I feel like it was really frequent with the short-term trips kind of hindered their long-term ministry in so many ways. <laughs> like, um, yeah. and some of the cynicism and frustration with, with, um, I had, I had, one, I had, I had one, uh, career missionary in, in India uh, tell me he got literally got an email from a church like a, his home I don't know his home church or something say hey we're gonna send we're, we're going to send a short term trip and we're we are going to like I think build a bridge or, or we're gonna he was like we don't need that and I'm busy yeah. and I you know how stressful that is <laughs> like I was right. like really they just yeah. said we are going to do it. so that's might be a, more extreme anyway I'm my question is yeah would love some maybe big picture pros and cons with short-term trips and so maybe some blind spots that people sure. who are, have never even thought about kind of the possible neg- negative effects of short-term trips we're just a right. big picture? and I
1: would, I would just say that that example you gave from india and with your friend like that's not far-fetched at all like really? that's not that's like, so I, yeah i don't i don't think that's like an anomaly necessarily <laughs> yeah so i was a short-term missionary um i did trips to like Poland. And then, you know, living in Southern California, of course, you're going to cross the border and build a home every time now and then. And, um, I did an internship in Tanzania before I moved there. And then once I was actually a long-term missionary, right. So it's not Mm -hmm. weeks and months, it's years. Um, I was tasked with, um, facilitating some short-term missions. Some of them are better than others. A lot of it comes down to the attitude that they bring. So we had teams that came through where the people were really kind of self-absorbed and, um, it was really about them. And that's Mm -hmm. just, it's a complete waste of time. It's a waste of money. It's just detrimental. Like, um, you know, we had two teams from the same university and they were like night and day just based on attitude, you know, Mm -hmm. to be honest. So going into it with the right mindset is kind of like baseline. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned when helping hurts, that's a great place to start. And I think pretty sure they also have, um, they also have, uh, when helping hurts in short-term missions, like is like yeah. one of their accompanying books, um, which is really good. Um, there's also resources on short-term missions with vulnerable children. Um, the one thing that I would say, you know, so the, the best form of short-term missions that we brought out and hosted and actually even recruited for a little bit was having people come out as interns. So I would much rather have, um, and they could be young people. They often are. But I would much rather have, you know, two or three interns for two months, you know, than a team of 20 people that come out for two weeks. Like every single time I'd rather have the interns. It's not really about like making money and all of that. Although people like missions organizations do bring in income, you know, through short term missions, which I think they should like, you know, they're basically providing a service to this this team that's coming in. I keep talking about money, Preston. I don't know. (laughs) Um, but, but it's, but it's a reality, um, but I would, I would much prefer interns. And, you know, like you said, you got to listen to the missionary and you got to, and even beyond the missionary, like you have to listen to the local leaders and hopefully you're partnering with, with missionaries that are already listening to the local leaders. Right. There's a lot of things that just don't serve, you know, and you get that within when helping her. Yeah. Um. you know, there's a lot of things where it's just, yeah, we're going to paint this wall again and we're going to, you know, we're going to go to the orphanage. Like, don't go to orphanages. You know, if I could give one, you know, short-term right. missions advice, don't go to orphanages. These kids have become separated from their from their parents, right? Um, a kid forms attachment, um, like, basically in utero forward, right, um, by being connected with their mother physically and the nursing, and <laughs> once that has been severed, um, the kid is very... Um, likely to develop an attachment disorder and when that you get short-term missionary volunteers that come in and then leave and then come mm. in and then leave um it exacerbates those attachment disorders oh, wow. some people will say that starts the attachment disorder the attachment disorder actually starts because of the separation wow. but it's exacerbated when you send in the you know oh we have you know the church of whatever in such and such place and they're visiting our orphanage today and they're going to come in and you're actually encouraged to like, hey, yeah, pick up the kids, give them a hug, you know, all of this, which is just like mm-hmm. really poor conditioning for a kid. Like, I, I mean, I don't want to share too much of my son's experience, but like this was something we had to walk with him through because when he was in the orphanage, he was encouraged to just run up to strangers and hug them. And that's not safe. That's not safe behavior. And yet, that's exactly what we've conditioned these kids in orphanages to do anytime they're short-term missionaries that come through. Like, yeah, go, you know, throw them up in the air, hug them, kiss them, cuddle with them. Like the kids need love, you know, that kind of whole thing. And it's just like, they don't need love from strangers. Like they need <laughs> love from like a committed parent or, you know, guardian that that's going to be there for them day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And I saw it on the kids faces. Like when they get that, like that, you know, dopamine, adrenaline, whatever, like All the visitors are here. Let's go play soccer. Let's go jump on them. Let's go do all this. And then they leave and the kids are like downcast. They're bummed out. You know, it's just like, man, what a turbulent childhood. So on the short term piece, that would be one thing I would encourage people to do. Even Mm -hmm. if you're like supporting an orphanage, like we go back to that whole conversation we're having a moment ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Find other ways, like feed into the staff, or you know, do something else. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. start by actually listening to the missionaries yeah. and the local leaders that you're connecting with, um, because for sure, a lot of harm can be done yeah. <laughs> on short-term mission trips.
0: the The big one for me that was eye-opening was uh, building projects. I remember doing a lot of uh, research in like sociological journals that measured the local economic impact of um, a bunch of people from the wealthy West coming in with power tools and free labor. Like when you go paint a building, we have to at least ask what effect does that have on the painting industry in that local community? Especially if it's a poor area where painters are really looking for work and they see a bunch of free labor come in and paint a building that they could have gotten paid to paint. Right. Does that have a, does your free labor, which again, I'll say it one more time, hundred percent well-intended, Hearts are hearts of gold. But we have to at least ask a question. What does this have? Is it a positive effect on the economic the economics of the community? Or could it be right. stealing work away from somebody? We have to at least ask that question. And I'm not saying it's it's clear-cut every every time, you know. Um, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe the ministry you're going to help can't afford to pay a local painter. So I mean, but even that, I don't know. Like I I would
1: Yeah. But if you think, even in that, even in that situation, you think through it like, okay, so we're going to send 10 people and they're each going to have to raise at least $3,000. So what is that? That's $30,000. Like, Hey, would you, and I think actually Brian talks about this in his book, but it's like, would you rather have this money or would you yeah. rather us send people and we can come paint your, you know, it's just kind of like, yeah. that's, that's a no brainer, you know, like, <laughs> of you, course. We can write invest. you a check for
0: 30 grand or we can bring a bunch of people in.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's kind of crazy. And, and it's not even like, oh, we're bringing in skilled painters or people that are going to build the fence or whatever. The local people actually know a lot more. Like when we were at the orphanage, um, I remember on our short-term trip before I worked there, they were like, oh, we're going to do these projects around the orphanage. And they were like pouring cement. But they but the short term, my team like spent so much money pouring cement when they're like, you know, like here, like we mix it with sand to make it go longer. Like you guys just wasted a lot of money because you weren't doing it the local way, you know, like (laughs) it's just kind of like, oh, okay. Like and then what's the response? Oh, I had no idea. Well, of course you had no idea. Like you're an American, you know, and you're 20 years old. And again, like, I'm, I'm probably not being as gracious as you, but it's like, <laughs> like the local, the local Mason, you know, the local painter, the local builder, like yeah. they know how to actually do those projects yeah. and they're going to do it for a fraction of the cost. And you're going to feed their whole family, you know, for the next month by commissioning them, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. um, and they're going to do it more efficiently and more cost-effective than you too. So yeah, yeah definitely don't go and do building trips.
0: Are you an yeah. office fan by any chance?
1: <laughs> of course, dude. Yeah. Office for <laughs> do, sure. Do
0: you do you remember the episode when Michael and Andy were on the bus of the short term trip? There was I don't know, it was like mid maybe season five or something. Oh, yes, 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 yes. It was there at the church and then they got all swept up in the moment. There's the, the youth group's going to <laughs> drive to Mexico and and they start getting like cold feet, like halfway out of town right. or whatever. And they're like, What are we gonna do? and and it, and uh Michael's like, Well we're, we're gonna go build build a house or something and and he said like, right. we don't know how to We don't know how, how, how come we're gonna do it and he's like, Well they don't know how to build houses down there. And he's like, Well we don't know how to build a house And then he's like, <laughs> yeah. Well, Katie knows how or something like the leader of the youth group. <laughs> right,
1: right, right. It's just it so was, funny because you like you see them get so wrapped up in the fervor, right? And like that's just it's it's just like this is pure adrenaline, this is pure yeah. emotion and like not like like whenever we're activating those parts of the brain, we're turning off our thinking brains. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do. I do think that like, like you, I've been on several short term trips, and I you know, my kids are going on one in in I think a good one. Um, like the the youth leader is very knowledgeable. He has them do a lot of reading ahead of time. I think they read chapter seven or whatever it is when helping her. They they have another book that kind of says here's good and bad ways to do this. Um, and I forget exactly. Sounds like I'd say it's a more thoughtful trip. So would you would you agree? Like it, unlike maybe orphanages are like yeah we should work to, end or like we should. But yeah. we're we're short term trips. There there are good forms and 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 less like maybe more bad forms of trips. Yeah,
1: but I th- I think yeah. Because so, so, some people want to say
0: categorically like all short term trips are always should never happen. Right. Um, yeah.
1: And I wouldn't say that. I mean, we we were talking about Francis. We basically took Francis Chan on a short-term trip to Kenya, you know, (laughs) and, and, and Kevin and their whole team. And, um, I think that was really valuable because it was about, Hey, let's connect with, you know, people that left orphanages. Let's interact with some organizations that are doing good work. Like, you know, and in that regard, like it's more about education, it's more about advocacy. It's more about like partnering, like, and more about like getting behind local leaders, like, those types of things and those types of trips should happen. We do have to kind of think through the privilege piece. You know, there's a reason why we drop off, you know, 15 Californians in Kenya and not 15 Kenyans in California, you know, and to think like we, you know, that there's, that, that there aren't other implications, you know, because of that privilege, you know, it's kind of interesting. Like we have a Kenyan that goes to our church and, uh, I think he brings so much just by being here in Washington state, you know, that, that I would love, you know, to have more of that cross-cultural interchange, but not where we're going and being like, Hey, we're here, you know, check us out. Like, we're going to help you out even in a, you know, Mm -hmm. so I I think we kind of probably should think critically as far as just that cross-cultural piece. And what could we do? like would it be better to like actually bring the local leader here? Mm -hmm. Because we actually have some deficiencies in our church, you know, here in the States. Like, what if we bring out a team like, man, they could totally light us on fire and like, we'll be, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so, so I think we should actually kind of be thinking critically about that cross-cultural piece and how we actually do partnership, Mm -hmm. you know, with, with leaders and ministries in the global South. Um, but yeah, for sure. There are good ways to go about it. We, you know, that in and of itself is a really big industry that isn't like yeah. captured within the 2.5 billion that I mentioned earlier. Um, so I think if we could actually harness that you could do a lot of good with it, you yeah. know? Um, but it's going to take, again, it's going to take intentionality and it's going to take, um, you know, it's going to take, a, uh, you know, people getting into the weeds and allowing it to be complex and not just being like, well, we're just going to go and, you know, I took two weeks off for this Christian vacation kind of thing, you know?
0: I mean, just asking simple questions of does this trip help or hinder the long-term ministry of the locals on the ground who when we go home, they're the ones that are, you know, going to be there. Even even things like a short-term trip coming in, maybe they're not doing a building project, but they're doing a big event, you know? really high quality it's in whatever that might look like you know um the local missionary or the local the, the indigenous pastor leader that maybe doesn't have the resources that we're bringing in could it hinder his long-term effect and respect from the local community when like he doesn't have powerpoint he doesn't have a big drama show he doesn't have right. all these white kids bringing in you know just western you know enthusiasm or whatever like um Yeah, I don't know. Just asking those. I'm not again. I'm not saying there's clear answers. Like, no, that that will always hinder. But like, just asking the hard question: Will this help or hinder long-term ministry? And and a lot of people that live in honor shame cultures, it's gonna be hard for them to give you an honest answer, right? If you say we're gonna come in it's really shameful for them this and unhospitable really to say like, well, actually that's not going to help my, they're like, okay, yeah, sure. And everything's going to be up front, like sure. very, yeah, it's true. very right. Hospitable. And thank you for coming. And everybody smiles and, you yeah. know, and that we have to take that into consideration too. But, um, is it David and That's why Livermore scene with eyes wide open was a book I read that was years ago.
1: Um, I don't know that one
0: scene with, or short term mission. I don't know. I th- David Livermore, I think, is the author. You, guys, you can Google it. I thought it was really helpful. Um, anyway, I, I cut you off. You're gonna.
1: No, I just think that that what you were mentioning there. Are we willing to not be in charge, right? Yeah. If we're talking about kind of, because it's like we had the the first missionaries to go into these places were like aligned with colonial, you know, powers that like exploited, <laughs> you know, and it's like, are we willing? to go into these countries and be like, I'm not in charge, you know, like, and if the pastor who, who is like in these places that are like extremely hospitable, um, if he, like, do we have the rapport with him where he could just tell us honestly, you know, like, you know, this is what actually would help. This is what actually would serve. Um, you know, and if we don't have that rapport and if we're not willing to not be in charge of our short-term mission, then we have no business going. Right. We have no business going. We wouldn't want somebody just to come into our house and our neighborhood and be like, hey, I'm going to do this program. And we're like, this is weird. Like, this doesn't, you know, like, we right. wouldn't want that. Why? Why would we assume that they do? So, yeah. yes, there's a place for it, but you have to start with listening and you have to be willing to not be in charge. And you have to actually have an understanding of what's actually needed and what are culturally appropriate ways to yeah. get something done. And also just kind of lay down even the notion of getting something done, you know, like just... Just go and learn. Just go and build yeah. A relationship. Yeah. And and you know who knows what God could do in that. And also you know maybe bring them back this way. Who knows? Yeah, yeah that's good. Well,
0: uh, Bryson, thanks so much. No, <laughs> 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 Brandon, thanks so much for coming on Theology Raw. I've really been looking forward to this one ever since I talked to Alicia and, and, and I've got right. friends too who, who are so excited that I'm having these conversations because they've been thinking about this for years and, and are excited to have other people start to maybe rethink a better paradigm. So thanks so much for the work you're doing. Uh, 1 million home, uh, website is what? So I, I'll have it. this 1
1: million home. Yeah. It's the number 1 million home.com. Yeah. So you can come check us out. Um, you know, we're not here to promote anything other than kids getting into family, you know, <laughs> and there are people, uh, Alicia is not the only one, you know, we're not the only ones. We actually have a whole community of those types of organizations that are just like, man, let's get kids into family. And we have people that we partner with to transition orphanages into those types of organizations. Right. So, um, that's right. so that's, that's what it's all about, man. So yeah, definitely check us out. Um, yeah,
0: cool. Thanks so much, man. Great. Great talking Appreciate to you. Appreciate it. you. <laughs>